is Bloomberg Surveillance. One of the reasons for wanting to adjust policy rates higher is that if we do run into trouble, there's room to ease. I think it's clear that we should be expecting further easing from the European Central Bank, and we should probably be expecting further easing from the Bank of Japan. One of the concerns expressed for markets is a lack of global growth, and it really is showing up now in output. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. I'm Michael McKee at 7 a.m. on Wall Street. It is 3 p.m. in Doha, where this morning Saudi Arabia and Russia, the world's two largest crude producers, agreed to freeze output after talks. Right now, West Texas Intermediate 2988 is up by one and a half percent. Brent crude 3389 is up one and a half percent. Is that enough to matter? Michael Cohen of Barclays at 8 a.m. Is this all part of a wider geopolitical deal on Syria? Gideon Rose of Foreign Affairs in just a moment. And campaign 2016, could it get any uglier? We'll talk to NBC's Chuck Todd and Tom over the weekend, the death of uh, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, certainly adding to the possibility for a really ugly, ugly time on the campaign. Yeah, trail. boy, did things shift within our political debate. And then the markets, uh, Mike, I know you're going to do an extended data check here, but uh, uh, all in all, a jumble. Um, I, I guess the one thing I'd note, Mike, as you go into it is yen, uh, yen was stronger here uh, this morning. Yen is a little weaker at the moment, uh, 114.02. Uh, the U.S. dollar is about uh, half a percent stronger uh, right now. So we have had some changes in the last couple of hours. Uh, German investor confidence fell to its lowest level since October 2014. The ZEW that. index at one, down from 10.2. Uh, that has German stocks down. The DAX is off by 49 points, half a percent, and it's weighing on the stock 600, which is slightly uh, negative. It is uh, so small. That, uh, I mean, it's red on the screen, but we can't really give you a number on it. It's so so uh, minuscule. CAC 40 is up, though, uh, by 11 points, 3 tenths. And the FTSE is higher by 35, 6 tenths. And as Tom mentioned, U.S. futures up significantly this morning. S&P futures 25 points higher, 1.4 percent. Dow futures 207 points higher, 1.3 percent. NASDAQ futures 70 points higher, and that's a 1.8 percent gain on the day. Uh, we're looking at the bond market and finding yields rising, 1.78 percent for your 10-year, 1.23 for your 5-year, and the 2-year is up to 72 basis points right now. And as Tom mentioned, the dollar stronger against the yen. It is a little weaker. We call it unchanged against the euro, 111.58, and it's a a little stronger against the pound, 144.23. Uh, it is hard to see, Tom, a crisis in today's numbers, but um, no. certainly has been a bad start to the year. And Carl Weinberg, chief economist at High Frequency Economics, is, in his own words, terrified about the prospects ahead, or at least he was last week. Carl, do things still look so bad? Still terrified, Mike. Sorry. <laughs> what is it uh, that has you under the bed uh, at this point. Draw me a picture of what you think could happen. Well, let's see. Commodity prices have... Let's just talk about what has happened, all right? Commodity prices have collapsed. Bond yields are down to about zero. Interest rates are negative. Stocks are on the way down. Industrial production contracted in every major G7... in every G7 economy in December. GDP growth pretty much stalled out pretty much everywhere. Um, Prices are going down. 
you know, how much more bad news do you need to see before you open your eyes and you say, wow, there's a bigger problem going on here than just a couple of bad markets, a couple of bad reports. I, I look, Carl, um, at, at the global economy, and I have to filter back into it, the American economy, our single best chart on television. Folks, I'll put this chart out. i got to remake it up, and I'll get it out on Bloomberg Radio Plus as well. It's, it's just amazing how U.S. industrial production, production acts global-like. How much do you pull the United States into your caution on, Ameri- on world GDP? Well, Tom, my colleague Jim O'Sullivan is like Fed Chair Yellen, uh, thinking the jury is still out on whether the U.S. economy uh, goes into a recession or not. From his point of view, the key factor for policy right now in the U.S. is employment. If the unemployment rate, and let's say if employment continues to grow at its 270,000 pace per month, well, that's enough to keep the unemployment rate coming down, and that leads to wage pressures eventually. The Fed has to continue acting. But it has to slow down a lot to under 100,000 in order for in order for the growth of the labor market to slow by enough to assuage concerns about wage tightening and inflation risks. So his eye is on the labor market. Industry is one sector. Services are another sector that's doing better. There are pluses and minuses all around the economy. It's not a clear shot either way right now. Carl Weinberg with us, High Frequency Economics. We say good morning to all of you. As Michael McKee mentioned, green on the screen, Dow Futures up 210. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Don't settle for average in your portfolio to Invesco, the right approach means investing with high conviction. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Michael? Uh, Carl, you have been uh, calling for the last couple of days in your in your notes for coordination among the uh, G7, G20 countries. But what is it that you would have coordinated? Uh, emerging markets would love a weaker dollar, but the Japanese and Europeans would hate a weaker dollar. And no G4 leader has the ability to increase fiscal spending or, it appears, the appetite to do so. Well, you know, first of all, I think it would be good for market sentiment for just the governments to get together and to talk and for people to see that the governments are at least aware of and recognize that there is a problem. I mean, you look at the ZEW uh, index this morning out of Germany, and investor, those are investors and analysts who are surveyed there, and their confidence is down the garbage can. They need to know that somebody's paying them attention. Could there be coordinated fiscal policy? Well, you're right. There are certainly obstacles in Japan. There'd be political obstacles in the U.S. The U.K. has religious issues related to it. I mean, there are a lot of problems to it. But maybe it's time to reconsider those problems. And certainly not even talking about the options that might be available leaves the markets just hanging on their own without any help whatsoever. Yeah, but, well, first of all, there is a meeting next week um, in Shanghai. But uh, second of all, um, wouldn't that assume the markets are stupid in the sense that it, everybody knows that Congress isn't going to pass any fiscal help? Well, Mike, you know, I know you're old enough to remember the Plaza Court meeting, you know, and everybody got together and came out of the room looking grim and said, these are the emergency measures that we have to do. And the U.S. promised fiscal restraint and the rest of the world promised fiscal stimulus and everybody promised coordinated <laughs> interest rates. Nothing happened, all right, but the world economy improved as a result of it. So I think that, you know, there's some management involved that can just yeah. involve leadership. But, Carl, as somebody mentioned the other day, and folks, you know, we don't mean to make this a history lesson, but sometimes there are lessons to be had. A lot of people remember the Plaza Accord. Carl, I would suggest that very few remember that it was messed up, so they had to have a Louvre Accord in Paris, 
afterwards to readjust the recalibration. That Why wouldn't that happen again, where well-intentioned people do dollar policy and then they go, oops? Well, I think you hit on the key words there, Tom, well-intentioned people, okay? Let's see some well-intentions expressed by the leaders. Let's see the leaders at least recognize that there is a problem, that there might be a basis for reconsidering austerity, even if they come back to the conclusion that austerity is the only way to go. But certainly right now, with unemployment uh, as high as it is in Europe, with Japan's economy going into the garbage can, with world trade contracting 15%, I didn't even mention that when I was talking to Mike a second ago, you know, Leaders have to step up to the plate and say, okay, there's a problem here, and we're aware of it at least, and we're considering options to fix it. That would certainly make the equity markets feel a lot better. Well, the equity markets um, are what everybody sees as the locus of the issue right now, uh, and they're higher, and they have been for a couple of days. Is it possible that much of what you're talking about has just been a market overreaction, and uh, we're now pulling out of this? I mean, maybe this... Saudi-Russia deal, if it, even if it doesn't limit oil supplies, at least puts a floor under prices and everybody starts to feel better? Well, it's nice to hope that that's the case. I mean, the equity markets are certainly one locus of what's going on, and they certainly are calm now, although they're down substantially from where they were, and they don't seem to be coming back. To me, 26 basis point yields on 10-year bonds or near zero yields on Japanese government bonds, all right, uh, French yields under 70 basis points, these tell me that people are expecting deflation. <clears throat> Falling CPIs and, and, and slowing core CPIs tell me pretty much the same message. So I'm of the view that there's a bigger sense of anxiety out there that transcends <clears throat> the uh, yeah. equity markets. And don't forget about the commodity markets, too, where prices are down, what, 75% for key commodities? I mean, these are not signs of right. good times, and they're not popping back, as far as I can tell. Carl Weinberg, thank you so much. He's with High Frequency Economics. Mike, we'll do a lot of charts today which really show the indeterminate nature of trend. We've had a bounce, but in no way, and there's been a lot of good emails and tweets on this as well, no way do we have a reversal of trend technically, depending on which technical setup you use. We'll talk with Katie Stockton about technical yeah. uh, trends in just a few minutes. <clears throat> yeah, incredibly oh, well-timed to do that. Futures up 26, down futures up to 10. If i got to look at one thing on the screen, Euro, uh, rather Yen, went to strength of 113 and change. Pull back a little bit from that, 114.04 now, but Yen strength um, through the morning. Dollar ruble with ruble weakness, interesting, 70. 7.35 on the Russian ruble. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit westchestersubaru.com. Here's Michael Barr with the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton is predicting that President Obama will nominate someone who's already been confirmed by the Senate to replace the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Clinton and Democratic rival Bernie Sanders have both expressed outrage at the potential of a Republican-led Senate refusing to consider a nomination before the election. It is believed to be the first time the U.S. government has put a person on trial on terror charges related to the Islamic State group. Trial begins today in federal court in Arizona for Abdul Malik Abdul Karim. 
He is accused of being behind a foiled attack on a Prophet Muhammad cartoon contest in Texas. Yesterday's suspected twister in the Florida panhandle was in part of a large winter storm system that slammed the eastern U.S. Officials say about 10 homes were destroyed or damaged. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, uh, thanks so much. Stay with us, folks. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, Worldwide Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by your Tri-State BMW centers. Visit them online at TriStateBMW.com. At BMW, they make only one thing, the ultimate driving machine. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper. Does your accountant do more than crunch numbers? Eisner Amper understands the more their clients know, the better the outcome. That's why they've created a 2016 personal tax guide. Free download at EisnerAmper.com slash strategies. ADT, a provider of home security monitoring, agreed to be acquired for about $6.9 billion by the private equity firm Apollo Global Management. European stocks, meanwhile, the DAX in Germany anyway, is lower this morning. U.S. stock index futures are higher with S&P E-mini futures up about 27 points. Dow E-mini futures up 217 and NASDAQ E-mini futures up 72. DAX in Germany is down four tenths percent while the CAC in Paris and FT100 are both up about half percent. Ten-year Treasury down 9.30 seconds. The yield 1.78 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 1.3 percent or 36 cents at 29.80 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 2 percent or $25.40 cents to 12.14 an ounce, the euro, a dollar, 11.59, the yen, 113.98. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, thanks so much, Karen. Appreciate that. Uh, with a green on the screen, it's an interesting market, to I'll say the least. Um, it was the quiet talk of Davos. There was one magazine that disappeared off the shelves. It was Foreign Affairs Magazine's summary of technological innovation. It had a black cover and just vaporized and disappeared. And percolating beneath that was the next issue to come out. A lot of people talking about Gideon Rose's effort. The world is flat, surviving global growth, uh, surviving slow growth, I should say, from Foreign Affairs Magazine. Gideon Rose joins us uh, this morning. Did Tom Friedman call you looking for a royalty? You know, we thought about that, and we thought that enough time has passed that uh, people wouldn't necessarily, we would see it as an homage rather than a steal. (laughs) But but, But seriously, Friedman, who owns the phrase, fine, and I like the homage idea was on globalization, your issues not on globalization. Right. We're trying to think how to basically get people to read about uh, slowing economic growth. And so it's a kind of depressing subject, and it sounds wonky, and so we thought that was a catchy way of no, tackling it. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about the oil deal this morning. And if Is this maybe part of a wider geopolitical deal or dance on Syria? The Russians uh, agree to a nominal deal which keeps the Saudi army out of Syria. The, Syrian, uh, the, the Saudis, in return, agree to a nominal deal on oil production. Neither side really amounts to anything 
but they have a sort of quiet status quo impact. I think it would be nice if the world worked like that because it would allow us armchair strategists to come up with all sorts of interesting, cool deals in which we could solve problems. Unfortunately, in the real world, I don't see that kind of linkage happening, and uh, the different countries, different sides of their policymaking tend not to be as coordinated as they, they might be because different actors and interests are involved. So I don't think this necessarily says anything about what's going to happen in Syria. That's a separate track, and there, there unfortunately are a lot of silos. What about with oil prices? Uh, the Saudis describe this as the beginning of a process. Uh, is this a process that could actually have a result, or is this more talk to soothe the markets? You know, if the dinosaurs got together and said, hey, we're on the verge of being extinct, but let's band together and, and figure out how to stop this uh, meteor thing from coming, uh, it wouldn't really make a difference. Um, I think this is a temporary uh, attempt to hold back uh, the waves that are that are coming. Within the discussion is the basic idea that you need technological progress or you need, you know, we all read about this in our textbooks. Is the path to a better growth a textbook path, or is there something different now that we need to consider? This is, in fact, Tom, the single biggest question right now, right, which is, and one of the really notable things is how many serious economists, how many major grade-A thinkers from Larry Summers to Ben Bernanke to, to, to you know, Paul Krugman to Ken Rogoff to, uh, are saying, you know what, we can't just assume that the last generation's mm -hmm. answers are going to be sufficient for the next generation. And so I think that there's a growing consensus among some of the smartest observers out there that we are in something of a new era and the race is on to diagnose that accurately and provide the appropriate new solutions, whether that's creative monetary policy in various ways, whether that's new demand side uh, stimulation in various ways from uh, expansionary fiscal policy. It's clear that just the old answers aren't going to work. What is the risk that we do not come up with an answer in time? Well, the risk is that the problem gets worse, that everything slows down, and that has spillover effects. You're seeing that politically in the U.S. these days, right, with uh, wage stagnation and the, the lower prospects for, for people or the stagnant prospects for people over a generation eventually catch up to politics. You get populist answers uh, that, that cause, uh, you know, political revolutions. <clears throat> and then if you have regimes that are themselves weak uh, and not particularly resilient like China and Russia, uh, long-term slow growth could be very uh, dangerous to those regimes, which could in turn create uh, international uh, consequences that are, that are destabilizing. So it's in everybody's interest to get growth moving again. Interesting question. Uh, how do people view the economics profession these days? And where I'm going with this is those who are running for president, suppose somebody does come up with a good idea. Is anybody going to listen? <laughs> That's a, a very good question. Uh, from the campaign so far, uh, certainly on the Republican side, it doesn't seem like uh, technocratic wisdom or serious policy discussion is playing uh, any role at all. Uh, on the Democratic side, there's some of that, but uh, massive promises to make everything better with a wave of a wand uh, also seem to be carrying the day. So one can only hope that after the campaign, whoever gets in will behave in a more uh, sound technocratic way than anybody is doing on the campaign. Gideon, you mentioned earlier in the morning, and, and I guess it's the question that everybody comes back to, is infrastructure. It can be global infrastructure. It can be national infrastructure. It can be local infrastructure. Everybody knows a rusted bridge down the road. Why is this debate so hard? 
You know, it, it, it is a mystery. Any American who has traveled abroad in the last several years, you could ask them, is there any airport you went to abroad in a major country that wasn't nicer than the one you left in the U.S.? Certainly if you left out of Kennedy or, you know, anywhere in New York. And the answer is certainly going to be yes, it's always nicer abroad. Why are our airports so crappy? That wasn't always the case. Um, and, and why, especially with interest rates so low, uh, demand, uh, uh, you know, low demand, this would be the time mm-hmm. for the government to spend more on infrastructure. We're passing on a massive deferred maintenance burden to the next generation. It's madness, but politically right. it doesn't seem to have any yeah. real play. Congratulations on Foreign Affairs Magazine. I'll do a lot with this, folks, in the coming months. Really can't say enough about uh, a thoughtful effort. Must reading. Stay with us with Futures Up 26. Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer. When it comes to winter elements, put your best four wheels forward with Mercedes-Benz 4Matic all-wheel drive. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer for a test drive today. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. Major reversal in stocks from last week. S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ futures all significantly higher at the moment. Uh, some of the corporate news that's helping drive that, Volkswagen's diesel emissions cheating scandal weighing on the carmaker's European market share for a fifth consecutive month, deliveries drop in Germany and the U.K. Vodafone Group and billionaire John Malone's Liberty Global agreeing to combine their businesses in the Netherlands, joining forces to challenge Royal KPN and Deutsche Telekom. And Apollo Global Management nearing a deal to buy home security company ADT, according to the Wall Street Journal. We'll keep an eye on those stories as the day develops. In the meantime, let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, thank you very much. Russia is rejecting claims that its warplane struck a hospital in northern Syria, killing nine people. A spokesman for President Vladimir Putin says this is another case of those who make such accusations against Russia being unable to back up their claims. France's foreign minister says attacks like the one on the hospital could constitute war crimes. Today is the second and last day of a summit with leaders of South Asian nations in California. Leaders will focus today on security issues. Last night, President Obama at the summit in Rancho Mirage addressed another big concern in Southeast Asia. As we were reminded again by the attack in Jakarta last month, the scourge of terrorism demands that we stay vigilant share more information, and work cooperatively to protect our people. There's tough talk from South Korea. The president is warning North Korea that it faces collapse unless it abandons its nuclear program. She defended last week's move to shut down an industrial park that was jointly run by North and South Korea. The World Health Organization says it might be necessary to use controversial methods like genetically modified mosquitoes to wipe out the Zika virus. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashower. John. 
All right, Mike, nice thought this time of year. Spring training. Yankees pitchers and catchers will report to Tampa Thursday, and the Mets gather in Port St. Lucie starting tomorrow. Matt Harvey arrived yesterday. He's not eligible to leave New York via free agency until after the 2018 season, but his agent is Scott Boris, who often steers his clients towards the open market, and the feeling has always been Harvey could be the one Met who would leave. He said, however, yesterday he won't rule out signing a long-term extension. Mets GM Sandy Alderson says they could start talking during spring training. With Yaroslav Halak injury, the Islanders have turned to Thomas Grice in goal. He has come through yesterday in Brooklyn. His fifth straight win, 4-1 over Detroit. The Isles have won four of the last five, four straight at home. College basketball, another win for Monmouth, 22nd of the season, 79-70 over Manhattan. Hawks will host Iona Friday, 10 o'clock, in a battle of the top two in the MAC. The Gales beat Quinnipiac 78-59. Battle of Brooklyn to LIU, 82-67 over St. Francis. The word is the Nets will name a new general manager sometime this week. They've whittled the finalists down to three. For the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stash. How are Mike? Thank you, John. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance Correction. It, it has been announced now. ADT will be acquired by Apollo Global Affiliates. $42 a share is the price for that. So ADT Apollo, uh, acquired by Apollo. S&P futures up by 26 points now, 1.4%. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Welcome back to Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. It is a green on the screen day, quite a reversal from much of what we saw last week, more like Friday and uh, what we saw in Europe and Asia yesterday, S&P futures now up by 26 points, 1.4%. 1.3% rise for Dow E-mini futures. They're up 214 points. NASDAQ E-minis, 72 points higher right now, 1.8%. And in Europe, the stock 600 is up by a tenth of a percent. Gold at $1,212.80 is down by $26.70 on the day. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report, brought to you by the New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here is, well, we welcome back, Bob Moon. Thank you, and Michael, here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math, and I've got a deal for you, Michael. I know you'd like to have your Such own Tesla. Such a deal I got yes. for you. You'd like to have your own Tesla Model S, one of those high-performance all-electric sedans. Yeah. And how does this sound? I can steer you to one this spring for 500 bucks, all in. I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> this is the only kind of Tesla I can afford. It's the Tesla Model S for kids. Engadget reports the carmaker is teaming up with Elon Musk and company for this realistic downsized version for younger drivers, and we're younger, right? Yes, it does incorporate lithium-ion battery technology, recharges in as little as three hours. For $500, this is not your usual kitty car. It's supposed to have working headlights, standard Model S paint schemes, and get this, a sound system to feed in the tunes of your mobile device. And what kid doesn't have their own mobile device these days. Okay, full disclosure, two speeds. Tops out at three and six miles per hour. And that's this morning's 
Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. So you buy one of these, Michael, and you use the sound system to play the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. That would be my life. Um, <laughs> Katie Stockton has a, cu- a couple of kids. She's a chief technical analyst at uh, BTIG Global. And Katie, you, you, you're in the market for a toy te- uh, Tesla? Oh, we already got one of those John Deere ones for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> kids riding around the house, uh, oh, digging up the right. yard. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you were uh, writing over the weekend uh, relatively optimistic uh, from a technical point of view about the outlook for U.S. stocks. You look at what's happening on the screen this morning. I would assume that optimism holds at this point. We're going to see some sort of relief rally. That's right. So the optimism is really only short-term in nature, and I, I don't want to get too caught up in the short-term because the intermediate term still looks somewhat risky to me. But we are seeing gaps up around the world this morning, and, and that's a positive from a short-term perspective. You see momentum turning a bit, and uh, there is upside to resistance levels for the S&P 500 index and beyond. We also did see last week some signs of what I call short-term downside exhaustion, basically oversold readings in our indicators that we don't don't often see at these extremes. So that does support a bounce in the next one to two weeks, but we have to keep that within the framework of all of the breakdowns that preceded them. So the bounce occurs within the framework of a downtrend for most of the major indices. S&P 500 closed on Friday at 1864.78. What's resistance going up? It's around 1950, so just a, just over 4% higher from current levels. So looks like we'll make some progress toward that at this, this morning or today. Um, and, however, I do believe that we could stall at or below that level, leaving another lower high on the chart as intermediate-term uh, momentum takes hold again on the downside. Now, I noticed when you were writing uh, your, your uh, Stockton on Stocks note over the weekend that uh, – you're suggesting maybe investors want to take down exposure because this isn't going to last, as you said. That's right. So it's it's a momentum story. And really the, the rotation that we've seen recently, starting at the, the beginning of the year, has been reliably defensive. We've seen rotation, of course, into the staples sector, into utilities, into value versus growth. And these things have been very reliable to the point where I think they're probably going to be sustained uh, beyond the near term. So with that in mind, I'd probably be a better buyer of something like gold. What do the charts tell you about gold, then? Gold gapped up last week on, on one of my weekly charts, so that's a, a positive development from an intermediate-term perspective. It basically has an unconfirmed breakout. So if we see some follow-through in the next week or two, we'll see what I would call a bullish reversal of the downtrend that's been in force for years at this stage. For those of us who, who aren't regular chartists, how long does a, a move have to hold? Because you note gold gapped up. It's certainly gapping down today right now at $26. <laughs> Yeah, so so we are seeing a pullback, of course, as the markets rally or as equities rally. And yet, if we see gold close this Friday above, uh, my level is $1,190 per ounce. So that's sort of my threshold in terms of resistance. If we see another weekly close above that level, that for me would mean confirmation of the breakout. And it's really a matter of preference, but I would recommend investors always wait for some kind of confirmation more than just a day, more than just a week at times. Let me uh, ask you about oil. I've got about 30 seconds left, and we can come back and talk about it some more. But uh, obviously the news this morning in both West Texas and Brent up by 2%. 
Well, when you look at oil, it's, it's obviously in a long-term downtrend, and that doesn't uh, bode well for the equity market, of course, with the correlations that we've seen recently. And yet, as it's come down, it's actually done so with less downside momentum. And again, you have some signs of, of short-term downside exhaustion. So I'm on the lookout for a basing phase in crude oil, but I'm far from having enough confidence to add counter-trend positions here. All right, let's follow up on that in just a moment. If you can stand by, Katie, we're going to take a quick break and come back and uh, talk more about oil and other chart information. She's Chief Technical Analyst at BTIG Securities. West Texas Intermediate, 3013 right now, up 2.3%. Brent at 3410 is up 2.1%. Stocks overall higher with the S&P futures up by 1.4% this morning. This is Bloomberg Surveillance on Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit sectorspdrs.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.com. U.S. stock index futures are rising this morning, signaling equities will climb for a second day as trading resumes after the holiday. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 26 points. Dow E-mini futures up 212. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 71. The DAX in Germany is down half percent. Ten-year Treasury down 830 seconds. The yield 1.77%. Yield on the two-year 0.70%. NYMEX crude oil is up 2. 3% up 67 cents to $30.12 a barrel. Comex Gold is down about 2% down $24.10 to $12.15.50 an ounce. The euro, $1.1166. The yen's at 113.90. ADT is up more than 52% this morning. The provider of home security monitoring agreeing to be acquired for about $6.9 billion by the private equity firm Apollo Global Management. Goldman Sachs is up 2.4% this morning. Morgan Stanley up more than 3%. J.P. Morgan Chase raising its rating on Goldman to overweight from underweight and raised Morgan Stanley to overweight from neutral. And it's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keene with us. Katie Stockton, as we look at charts and all the rest that is out there. Katie, something is percolating, which drives me nuts. It was one of the first reasons I had first gray hairs. This out of John Maggie, who was ageless and timeless and technical analysis, the dreaded double bottom. There are double bottoms. Every time there's a, it's like, it's like a, a, a beer pong thing, Michael McKee. Every time somebody mentions double bottom, you have a double old fashioned. Um, I mean, Katie, you gotta help me here with a double bottom before we let you go. Do you believe in this malarkey? Well, a double bottom is actually a bullish formation, believe it or not, despite the name. <laughs> um, and the double tops are much more common in this environment right now. So if you look back over the last year or so, you see a lot more double tops. 
and really these formations of which so, so many of them have these awful names, they're really derived from the concepts of support and resistance, support being potential areas of buying pressure, resistance potential areas of selling pressure. And this comes from behavioral finance, from market psychology, which really doesn't change. So these double bottom formations would be a successful test of support, and a double top formation would be an unsuccessful test of uh, resistance, so a failed breakout essentially. Katie Stockton, thanks for being with us today from BTIG. Uh, technical analysis, and uh, nobody does it better. Um, we will watch Tom's double tops and double bottoms and his gray hairs. Uh, getting gray hairs on the campaign trail, Chuck Todd, uh, host of NBC's Meet the Press. You can hear at 11 o'clock and 3 o'clock here on Bloomberg Radio every weekend, every Sunday uh, when Meet the Press airs. Uh, Chuck, uh, if it's not one thing, it's another. And now we have another twist in the race. The Supreme Court uh, has an opening, and we have um, the political conflict over that. Well, as if we didn't need to put the stakes any higher uh, on the 2016 election, let's assume Let's assume the president doesn't um, get his nominee through. That is some. That is something else that's on the ballot in November. Direction of the Supreme Court, the presidency, the U.S. Senate. Um, and I'm sorry if I were going to be the next president. The last thing I would want is my first hundred days to be dominated by a Supreme Court fight. Um, so I think these presidential candidates will will say what they say publicly, but secretly they should. It is uh, talk about a way to basically. Uh, screw up any on the hopes of having an agenda um, is, is, is waiting for that fight to happen um, in your first hundred days. But I have to tell you, I think this is, um, this is, could be the issue that finally breaks the U S Senate that finally gets us to a point where it's no longer a functioning body. Um, I, I don't know. I don't see a, a peaceful path forward in the short term. Here's what occurred to me. Uh, same th- I had the same thought, but then I thought um, we have an electorate that is mad as hell and won't take it anymore and is willing to support someone like Donald Trump, are they willing to do anything about the Senate and or House? I don't know. I think there's going to be, I think that Reed and McConnell here are going to be testing the patience of the American mm-hmm. public. At what point do they start screaming enough is enough? This is ridiculous yeah. that you can't get and do anything anymore. It, do you realize that Anthony Scalia was uh, was confirmed 97 to nothing. Yeah. That was just 1986, okay? <clears throat> Life hasn't changed that much. Um, yes, it was just before the Bork fight, but even Anthony Kennedy was a unanimous selection post-Bork. Um, we, we've, where we have gone now, yeah. and where every, every fight is sort of, you know, the end of the republic is here if you don't vote a certain way. Right. Um, that's how we get to this point. Forty years ago, September of 1968, Warren Berger, this is out of Bob Woodward's Magisterial, The Brethren. In a country like ours, no public institution or the people who operate it can be above the public debate. How does the president within the Washington politics act, behave, or drive forward his considered view that people agree or disagree in. How does he do that with this institution, the Supreme Court, given the public debate now? What what do you look for from President Obama? Well, I'll be curious. I think he's got he's got a, a couple of choices here. Republicans gave him a, the high ground by deciding by declaring McConnell declaring he wouldn't even hold hearings. Uh, and that they wouldn't even consider anybody he nominated. So it gave 
He gave Obama the high ground. The question is, what is he going to do with that high ground? Yeah, does he nominate a partisan warrior and have a and use it to rally the base? Nominate somebody he knows can't get confirmed, but excites the base and excites the left? Or does he put put up somebody who maybe in a Democrat? If he had a Democratic Senate, he wouldn't nominate, but somebody right. more moderate, somebody with some Republican. Well, what's your perspective? You framed that beautifully, Chuck Todd. But what's your perspective? Well, can he do I, that? I, I, I think six months ago he would have done the Republican. I, I don't know. I, I, I think, look, the smarter play is to go with the, a, you know, find the more moderate. This guy, Merrick Garland, he's 63. You're not looking for somebody who's in his 40s. You're not making a generational sweeping change. He's somebody that got Republican support. Everybody in the court respects him. He's considered a, a moderate Democrat uh, for his views. That would be in the you know in the old school way of doing Supreme Court justices where you have one party in the Senate and the opposite party in the White House, he would have been the type of person you would have gotten. Um, that's why you got the Anthony Kennedy mm-hmm. for instance. Anthony yeah. Kennedy was confirmed by a Democratic Senate from a Republican president. Shocking, it turns out he's a swing vote, right? He's a center right vote. So this would mm-hmm. be a center left person. That's the that's the normal way our politics right. work. I don't know if Obama will do that. I think it's there's a chance that he goes partisan warrior here. Well, the question I have is, um, well, it's a sort of a two-part question, Chuck. One is, uh, who on the campaign trail is most likely to benefit from the issue coming up? But second, mm-hmm. I, you're going to be giving me an answer based on your own model of campaigns. We talk a lot about financial models being broken these days are our political mm. models broken I, do you have a lot of confidence in what you're able to tell me <laughs> well fair enough fair point look i think the person that helps the most is ted cruz um this is his voters care the most people that are inclined to support him care the most about the judiciary and care about judges um so this is in his wheelhouse uh so and and with the states coming up the southern states the Supreme Court is, is, is something that is used to, to rile up the base down in the South. So I think short-term it has a chance to benefit Cruz more than anybody else. I think that's why you yeah. Cruz, he's the first candidate they advertise on it. They certainly think this benefits them, so we'll see. Um, but you're right. I mean, look, Donald Trump has violated every, every rule that we thought uh, mattered in American politics today, and he's still at top of the polls. So, um, you know, I think he's rolling the dice with this Bush 9-11 mm-hmm. criticism. But, you know, unless somebody follows up and attacks him for it, he might he might uh, weather the storm. Uh, Chuck Todd, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Chuck Todd, uh, moderator for Meet the Press. You can see it on NBC Sunday morning. Hear it on Bloomberg Radio uh, Sunday afternoon as well. Just very, very good conversation. Boy, did things what, change one, uh, late it, at night. Yeah, one on interesting question, too, uh, for President Obama is whom does he get? who will accept the nomination knowing that he may or most likely will not yeah. get a vote because there is no <clears throat> nothing binding on the next president that they would renominate this person. And then if you've been turned down, does that close you off from the Supreme Court in the future? Yeah. It is. So he may have some have trouble finding somebody who's willing to be the sacrificial lamb. And even, you know, not related to this discussion is a little bit of percolation that with the Democratic Senate and Democratic president, President Obama himself, Ola Taft, would uh, be, be nominated for the Supreme Court. I suspect point. you would find that one almost impossible to get through. Um, yeah. The Republicans, even in the minority, if the Republicans were the minority, they yeah. would not approve that one. 
This is uh, is something to to think about as we move to the first Tuesday of November. Don't forget Bloomberg politics, and with all due respect, with their coverage uh, along the, I don't even know where Helpern and Heilman are. One of them's in Nevada, maybe, and the others. Well, in one South of them Carolina. is filling out their application for the Supreme Court. I yeah, think, well, at this point. well, they'll do. It. They'll keep them occupied for ages. Futures up twenty four, Dow futures up two hundred one. I'm watching the yen. 113.88. Stronger yen. It pulled back to 114 level. Down we go again. For that to break through to key uh, support would be something. West Texas had a 29 handle. Right now exactly 30.00 on West Texas Intermediate. Up 56 cents. Uh, a, a jumble to the market. Gold down $26. That's important. Another hour of Bloomberg surveillance. Stay with us.